Busy as a global co-working and conference community, we've had our fingers on the pulse of co-working since 2012, and we've connected thousands of operators, both in person and online. On the Juicy Podcast, we talk with the people making it happen day in and day out. Let's get to it. Okay, everybody, I'm so dorked out about Cliff Ho from the Commons. I'm also slightly intimidated because this guy literally prepped me for my own interview. And then I was like, that's crazy. Nobody's ever done that before. But then I remembered that he was like a professional media guy. So I am interviewing like a master interviewer. So bear with me, people. I'm going to do the best I can. How are you, Cliff? Well, thank you for the introduction. No pressure. (laughs) I'm well, Liz. (laughs) Happy New Year. And I wouldn't say professional. It's been years. Geez, I was 21. I'm I'm 38 now. So when I started that gig, I was 21 years of age. It was a long time ago. But yes, no, very good. Very good. I had a good Christmas and yeah, in a good place. All right. Awesome. So you guys, Cliff has over 11 sites, or he has 11 sites. He's opening four more this year. And so that's over six 650,000 square feet. And then here's the crazy thing. He's profitable. And we're going to get to all of that. But first, because I know a few things about Cliff, I've decided to do a little speed round this morning. So <laughs> here we go, Cliff. True or false is your choices. True or false, you have never fought with your business partner? True. Never fought with Excellent. True or false, you have DJed at two celebrity weddings? False. True or false, you have jumped out of a perfectly good plane? Yeah, true. <laughs> okay. True or false, Lizzie Lim has stalked you? <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, true or false, you have interviewed Miley Cyrus, Kanye, and Usher? Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly right. I was lucky enough when I was 21 to land a dream job and did it for six years. It basically, everyone that went to Asia, I, I interviewed. So I worked for like an MTV music channel and it was great. We got a lot of media training and yeah, it's like Asha, Black Eyed Peas, Miley Cyrus, a lot of DJs and it was so much fun. And it was really interesting to see behind the scenes. The more successful the artists were, the better they were with media. Mm, like Miley yeah. was the nicest person I ever met. And they just were happy. Oh, really? Yeah. I yeah. love that. I'm a big yeah. fan, big fan yeah. of hers. But the smaller the artists or the K-pop artists, the, the more arrogant they were, I guess they had a bit of a chip on their shoulder. That's Interesting. just interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good, good insight. True yeah. or false, you have hugged Barack Obama. False. Okay. True or yeah. false, you have... <laughs> True or false, you have graced the stage at Juicy. True. Yeah. Well, I just wanted people to get a little more insight into you, so I thought that would be fun. So I made some of those up. Thank you. Oh, good. Yes. <laughs> I was like, wait. It's, okay. Um, it's pretty early in the morning here. I'm, I'm trying to think. Did I hug? You know. Like, oh. Did you read that somewhere? No. Okay. So we've established that you're doing well as a human being. How was your business and how was COVID good for you? So business is in a great place. 2023 was probably the, is, was the best year of my per- professional career. Every year before that was tough. If you ask me mm. that question in 2020, even in 2017, 2018, it's been a grind. And but, but, but COVID obviously was really difficult. Coming from Melbourne, we had a lot of sites in Melbourne. We went through a really heavy lockdown mm-hmm. years. So that was difficult, but we sort of turned a ne- negative into a positive. And we 
got out of lockdown sort of end of 2020, opened up a new site. We're thinking, geez, this is going to be tough. But we thought, you know, flex and hybrid working is going to really boom here. And we had a site that was 3,500 square meters or around 40,000 square feet to your American listeners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we filled it in 10 weeks. And so we're like, wow. wow. Cool. So loads of inquiries came back. It just showed people wanted to come back to the office, especially in Australia, because, you know, I know, that, I know the narrative in America is like completely office is dead, but Australia's got a great work-life balance. So people are mm. happy in the office because they're only working 38-hour weeks. We've got very strong labor laws here and people aren't mm-hmm. working, basically people aren't working too hard in Australia, but it's a good, it's a good balance. It's a good life. So, but then we went back into lockdown, which was really, really difficult. But then that's when we sort of got aggressive and we went on the offensive and hit up all mm-hmm. them and they were sort of stressing. They were like, geez, commercial is really tough. And we signed six deals, mm-hmm. straight leases. And everyone thought we're nuts, but they were deals that we could never get in our life again. They're once in a lifetime deals. Mm. Idea. We, you know, a deal that we got was on George Street, Sydney, which is to give you an idea, we're opposite Apple Store, Louis Vuitton. Mm. And on top of, we're on the corner. It's a really prominent street, probably one of the best pieces of real estate in Australia. We're paying 25% less rent than any of our competition in the area. So our margins are really healthy. We got a decent deal with the landlord when it comes to contribution. We had to top up ourselves. The business was already in a good position, more profitable before COVID, and we managed our cash flow quite well throughout throughout COVID. Uh, we didn't let anyone go. So we we sort of had the funds to kind of get aggressive and, mm. and start up these deals. And and as soon as we got out of lockdown, you know, George Street, that site, which is quite a big site, it's five and a half thousand square meters, sixty thousand square feet. We filled it, you know, within three months. So, and that stayed full ever since. It's sort of got a, it's got a wait list to get in basically. So ever since. So that's COVID been, was very challenging, but also in the long run, I actually think it's been great for our industry as a whole. No one's really looking at traditional office space anymore in Australia anyway, but but a lot more people were looking at sort of flexible co-working options as a great long-term solution for them. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that, Australia came back so strong is that your cities are so walkable and so lovely, and that is not the case in the rest of the world. So it makes sense that your CBDs are continuing to do really, really well. So just real quick, I wanted to go back to how Commons came about because I don't know your origin story. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. When I finished up hosting, it was sort of, I started a production company in Australia and I was shooting videos and the dream was always actually to have a, a creative space where there was a photography studio, a green screen, recording studio for, for creatives. I spent a lot of time in, in studios and I th- always thought there would, this, there's got to be a better way to do this. And then my school friend and business partner, Tom, who's a banker, he's the brains behind the operations. He should be mm-hmm. on this call. Uh, <laughs> he, he sort of, we did the feasibility study and we're like, bloody hell, this is a shit business model. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't swear on something. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are pro swearing. Okay, we're pro swearing, but it was terrible. And the numbers didn't really stack up. The margins were paper thin, but then we, we dug into it a bit more. And once we added offices to the space, it really made sense. So we kind of shifted from a pure creative space to mm-hmm. somewhere where it was a bit more of a co working space. But we still built in a photography studio, a, a recording studio in our very first site. And and when we opened in 2016, uh, we filled it in three months. And the rest was sort of history. We're figuring it out as we went. The second site we signed was in South Melbourne. We signed a terrible deal there. Still profitable, but it was, <laughs> we didn't have a clue what 
we were doing back in those days. You know, we, we if I look yeah. at the deals we signed early on, I'm like, oh, this is amateur hour. It's embarrassing. But you learn quick and then we got there in the end. So, yeah, so that's sort of how the story came about. And Tom, my business partner, was, yeah, high school buddies. And back to what you said, yeah, we, we haven't had a fight in eight years together. And I think that's amazing. The, the reason behind that is, number one, you need respect. But I, I always see in, you know, in the comments, you get to see all these amazing businesses and a lot of the time, some of the founders fall out. It's because they end up, yeah. a lot of the time, they're best friends and best friends have the same interests and they have the same personality type a lot of the time. And I don't, I think that's quite dangerous because Tom and I, we're completely, op- even though we're best of friends, but we are opposite. He's a banker and I'm more in the creative mm-hmm. field. So my job is the day-to-day operations, the branding, you know, a bit more of the vision of where, where the comments is at. Mm-hmm. He's on lease negotiations, site negotiations, on construction, and obviously our finances, making sure that we're profitable. Mm -hmm. So how we set it up was, you know, he gets final say when it comes to those decisions and I get final say. And we, Mm. we we can have a healthy debate about things, but we really respect each other's boundaries. And obviously... He's the best at, at those uh, in those fields, mm-hmm. and so that's where we've come to. And we we had those we had all that agreement kind of lined up before we even started the business, and and that's what's made yeah. It. That's interesting. Both my brother and my dad went off and did business ventures with really good friends, and they both ended absolutely terribly. And you know, don't talk to each other. You know, legal stuff like it was horrific. So I think that's really interesting that you, that you honed in on, you know, we're different and that's part of the reason why it works. The other mm-hmm. thing I always tell anybody whenever they start to enter into these partnerships is I was like, you have to have a legal document in place before you start or you are opening yourself up to a world of hurt. Yeah. And we did all that even before we started. We drew up, a, you know, uh, a shareholders agreement and everything was clean mm-hmm. and ever since and, and yeah he's been he's you know a wonderful wonderful guy and yeah still best mates so i'm about to see him in a couple of weeks and we go on holidays together i love it it is very you know it's been a great journey with tom yeah you know it was interesting i got to have dinner with a bunch of executives in new york in the fall and jamie hudari was talking about justin and they are very different and they go on these trips together that are absolutely hysterical. Like I was dying at the stories he was telling about them and their friendship. It's really special and really cool. Yeah. Um, Okay. So you are profitable, which is amazing. And lots of co-working spaces aren't. And I know you were citing some statistics that I think you heard at Coworking Europe in regards to how many co-working spaces are profitable. Well, they said 50% were profitable, which doesn't seem right to me because then a lot more would be mm-hmm. falling. Liz, you, you, you've got a lot more insight than I would. What, what do you think that is? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. You know, the Dustmag survey, I don't think it's big enough to really inform the industry. Like I love Carson. I love the work he does and he's done a ton of great work, but I'm not sure that is a big enough sample size because more people would be out of business. There's just no way. You can't operate that way. I do think companies like WeWork really skewed the numbers for a while and will probably continue to. But I would say, I'd say there's definitely a profitability problem in co-working. So, you know, I think that I'm super interested in what you think is going on, why you think you guys are different from others and what we can learn from that so we can hopefully help some help some people out. Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we I mean, maybe or take a step back, sharing these numbers and we, we did in a publication in Australia, not to 
brag or, or to raise money, but our industry has been hit hard over the last sort of three years, four years, you know, obviously with WeWork and I will say I'm a really big fan of WeWork. I thought they've done an amazing job and I still think I'm still a big fan of their sites and what they've done, but you know, we're not trying to raise money or not trying to sell the business, but I do think it's important that the industry as a whole, we all are collectively doing better together. Like look at the hotel industry. It's better. It's not good if mm-hmm. one does well and the rest are failing, right? So, yeah. so this financial year, we did $45 million in revenue and we, we made just under $9 million in profit. We also, it was a big year for us because we paid off all the debt on the business. We have, don't have any debt. Wow. And we took, Amazing. Our, we took our very first dividend. So, you know, that's been, I've been grinding for 13 years. The Commons has been operating mm-hmm. to eight production company before that. During COVID, Tom and I didn't take a salary for two years or just under two years. Mm-hmm. Let our staff go. So we've been grinding and struggling financially, personally. Yeah, for a while. yeah. You're not an overnight success. They never. Yeah, are. yeah. And and we're not rich guys, but but it was nice to get our first dividend. And you know, yeah, I mean, congratulations. We need to celebrate that. That's huge. Yeah, and I think the reasons for that. It, it, there's a few reasons for that, but I, I guess where to start? Like, if I so Tom and I, we wear a lot of hats in the business, and we still do. I I, I do see a lot of operators make a mistake. They overhire. You know, we've got 11 sites. We're opening to 15 sites. We have 75 staff in the whole business. Mm-hmm. However, the member experience is really stacked in terms of our sites. We have always someone at all times at the front desk. It's not two people. So each site yeah. has a minimum of three, three people. And our larger sites have five people, not including wow. two day cleaners. So they're really stacked in terms of community-wise. And, you know, we've got events coordinators and all sorts of other roles. But, you know, in terms of in day-to-day operations and and head office staff, we keep that quite lean. And, and that's really because it, it is really expensive. And especially in Australia, it's quite expensive. So I think that's one lesson that sort of we've always said, look, let's not overhire because a lot of companies don't have to let go of people when things don't plan. And well, and it's also exceptional because you guys have amazing amenity, rich spaces, and you're known for hospitality. So yeah. that's exceptional. Yeah, we've got ca- cafes on our site, even though I will say we lost $250,000 last year on our cafes. That's um, so funny. We're doing a session on cafes at Juicy because it's such a hot topic. But I mean, the good thing is they're wonderful for the space. I The way I see it, they're just like a, an airline lounge where they're like an it's amenity. A loss leader, yeah. Yeah, but you need them in the space and our large spaces happen. We're going to be, build them out. One of them sort of profitable, but the other two. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that a lot. And that's because they're well-staffed. You know, we service the meeting rooms. We we make sure that mm-hmm. no one's really like long for a coffee and those things. So we make sure the member experience is great. Other reasons for profitable, we before we sign any site, we just make sure the margins are good and we're very conservative with how we look at it. So this is not a jab at WeWork in any means, but you know this is what happens when you scale too fast. We got offered one of their sites last year in Brisbane. We looked at their numbers. Even when they're 90% full, they're only making 5% margin. It's too small. So yeah. that alone, you, you know, a lot of operators will look at a site, fall in love with it. There's so many sites I've fell, fallen in love with and visualized, man, this is going to be amazing. But guess what, Liz? Mm-hmm. I stack up. The rents are too high or whatever that looks like. And really, the first thing you've got to look at is what is the best rate in the area? And yeah. can we achieve that? What product are you bringing? And making sure that the, the rents you're paying are there. Now, it, sometimes, obviously, a lot of management agreements, we've signed leases, hybrid and management agreements. My preference are leases. 
if the deal is right. Like our, like the George Street deal I just mentioned, or the last, mm-hmm. all that really, um, they've always been really healthy. Like we've got into the market in fringe suburbs, CBD suburbs, like Chippendale in Sydney or Cremorne in Melbourne before they took off. So our rents are quite low compared to what the market rate is. So mm-hmm. always been able to keep a healthy margin on our sites. And then just we, we don't overspend really on, you know, silly things, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. it's funny because you you made me think of two things. One was I've done a lot of consulting, and whenever anybody comes to me with a location, I'm like, you may not fall in love with real estate. That's my number one rule. Like, you are not allowed to fall. You have not found the perfect location. You yeah. may not sign the deal. Like, no, stop. Yes. That's first. And then when I opened my first location. I signed a lease in 2009 and I knew it was at the bottom of the market because the market was horrendous. And I signed a 15 year deal because I knew I w- I had the deal of the century. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly what we did with those COVID deals. And yeah, really mm-hmm. now. And, but even before COVID, we were profitable. You know, we're making a couple million a year, if not mm-hmm. more than four million dollars a year before COVID. And those profits were going straight back into new sites. I think as well, like because of the valuations that were getting thrown around in 2017, 2018, money was easy to get. People got starry-eyed with valuation and they actually stopped focusing on profits. Now, obviously that's changed, but we always were focusing on profits and we never really cared Mm -hmm. about that because we knew we were never going to be the biggest. Commons could never be the biggest. We're just in Sydney and Melbourne. We have no plans to even go overseas. There's enough players hmm. to do that, and there's enough players that raised way more money than we ever have. Mm-hmm. We raised 2018. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we partnered with a local property developer, wonderful family. They took 27% of the business. Tom and I um, own the rest of the company. And, you know, they wanted us to be majority shareholders because then we're driving the company forward. But because they're, mm-hmm. pop- they're not looking at valuations and they're looking at this as a long-term play, they own a lot of commercial real estate. And mm. was always, we're very aligned. We could see also when we looked at deals from the landlord perspective, they would say, hey, this is what you should look at. This is what landlords care about. And what do you guys care about? And that's how we could negotiate and meet in the middle. So the, we, our partners were very important. We're very aligned. I see a lot of companies that they raise from, you know, whether it be private equity or VCs and next minute they want to return on their investment within five years and they're pushing a high valuation, they're trying to sell it to another high valuation. There's pressure to grow, pressure to grow, and people are then signing deals left, right, and center, and it can get messy, and we've seen it play out. you know. So yeah. I think this is a sort of a real estate play. Yes, it's hospitality from the member experience, but real estate is a slow and steady burn, I think. It's not a fast, it's not a sprint, because the market sh- changes really quick. And I look at the buildings that we designed six years ago, they're completely different to the buildings we're designing now. Yeah, and, totally. They should be. And they should be, right? And I know the buildings that we are designing today, they're probably not going to be that great in five years. So if I'm building mm-hmm. 20, 30 sites in, over the space of two or three years and I've got to hold those sites for 10 to 15 years, there's, there's a bit of risk there. So that's sort of our mentality. It's just slow and steady. Yeah. We've been on the GC, on the co-working megatrends that I do annually for the past two years. I'm like, you've got to redesign your space. You got to redesign your space. The world changed. You need to change. Like, 
And I love that you also mentioned to me in my preparatory notes that you shared that you guys really listen to your members from a design standpoint. And I was always saying, you know, as I had my first space and I didn't have any private office space in it. And my members were telling me we want private office space. And then I started losing members and they were signing leases. And I was like, I've got to open another location with office space. So I did. And they filled it right up. And they like just listening to them. They tell you what they want and what they need, but you've got to be listening. Totally agree. Juicy is headed to Salt Lake City. Join us in Utah on April 9th through 11th for Juicy North America. We'll have a three-day program where the mountains meet the city and co-working is just around the corner. We invite you to join our community for a real-time co-working and hospitality experience, Juicy style. In addition to the conference, we'll have a mix of work and play activations for you and your team to take advantage of. Whether you're up for outdoor thrills, exploring the art scene, or digging into local cuisine, we've got you covered. We chose Salt Lake because it's such a cool place with warm vibe, and we're ready to welcome you. For more information about Juicy North America, head to na.gcuc.co. Speakers and more to come. See you soon. You know, another thing that we use, and I don't think this gets talked about enough, but we always use the term revenue occupancy when we talk about occupancy. A lot of mm. companies here, they just say occupancy, but it's actually, mm-hmm. it's a bit of a false narrative because occupancy, if you take into consideration discounts, you might be 50% occupancy at the end of the day and you're 100%. So the amount of times I've heard people say, oh, we're 95% occupied, have occupancy, but when you put six months half rent discounts and all these things, you're actually only six mm-hmm. and that's why you're losing money. So you're tricking yourself. So in our company-wide, and we don't talk about occupancy, we only look at revenue occupancy. And just to give your list, listeners a breakdown, we might have a site, 70% of the space is private offices, 15% is dedicated desk, and the rest is hot desks. So we look at what is the value of the permanent space being dedicated desks and private offices, and then we mm-hmm. might allocate 50 hot desk memberships or 100 hot desk memberships to that site, depending on the house size. And whatever that number is, say it's a million dollars of revenue, just pluck mm-hmm. out a number, that, that is 100% full. But we always say, okay, that's not realistic. We always look at about 90% revenue occupancy when we look at our forecasting because there's churn and whatnot. So if you are to discount, and a lot of people do, then really their occupancy is only 60% revenue occupancy. So that's where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I say that because obviously people are trying to raise and I understand that. But revenue occupancy, it's kind of how hotels do it. It's the only way to really look at it because mm-hmm. you're just hitting yourself. And everyone wants to pat themselves yeah. on the shop. The amount of sites that are full is that they're not making money. You've got to go, why? Because mm-hmm. to, So give me like, like Commons right now, we're 94% revenue occupancy across the nice. board. We've got a wait list to get into most of our sites, but some of our sites, we've got a couple that are underperforming. They're sort of 80%-ish, and that takes into consideration discounts. But then we've got some sites that are oversubscribed. All offices are full. There's another trick that we've sort of done we think month to month is too flexible. COVID hit, mm. look what everyone jumped out. Oh, yeah, that was brutal. It was brutal. So we've designed it in a way that over 70, 70% of our members on, are on 12 to 36-month contracts with us, long-term. Mm. So that just protects us through any downturn. Mm-hmm. But the 30%, if they want month to month, they pay 25% more in rent. And As they should. We say you pay for flexibility and people are happy to do it. So 
And, I and love that. We've been in price wars all the time with our competitors and even with mm-hmm. landlords, actually, you know, like they're getting into this space in a way where they're doing spec suites in Australia and, you know, they're offering all sorts of stuff. But I think if you're amenities are good and people, if you treat it like a hotel and people are friendly and the space is beautiful, you, you're going to keep it full. You know, you're doing all the work. Yeah, to which is why, like, we're really not in the real estate industry. We're in the hospitality industry. Exactly. Totally agree. Yeah. Totally- and, yeah. And, you know, the other thing that's kind of interesting, it's funny, it's something I've been thinking about recently. I was talking to somebody, I don't remember who it was, about dedicated desks. And usually, dedicated desks to me are a really underutilized product because they're usually the most profitable place in your space, right? Because you're not building any walls. They're literally renting a desk and they're paying more for it. Like, I'm wondering, have you guys ever focused on kind of trying to drive more people to dedicated desks? Well, we've always, every one of our locations has dedicated desks. We like them. We've designed them in a way that actually they get their own, but there's a bit of a privacy screen, a little custom made. So they've got mm-hmm. their own board shelving in front of them. So that gives them a level of privacy. Oh. Yeah, it's really quite nice. And there's, you know, USB-C ports and all sorts of things in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so saying that, the, the, we find it's great for freelancers and that, you know, the individual solo entrepreneur starting out or, or the two-person. Mm-hmm. But where we find it probably works best is when companies, say, might have a 10 or 20-person office and they're scaling and they're like, look, we need some more space, then they can totally. flow on the dedicated desk. And we put the dedicated desks out the front of some of those larger offices for that. Yeah, that's what I did too. Yep. Yeah, perfect. Mm-hmm. So that works really, really well. So people can just go into the office and, yeah, and that, that's been a good thing. So it, it's just giving people flexibility to go from hot desking, mm-hmm. we call it but hot desking to, to dedicated desks to private offices. Um, yeah. We, we don't do bigger than a 50-person private office at the Commons. Like anything bigger than that mm-hmm. is a bit too risky for us. Yeah, yeah, it is. I I can totally see that. So you said something interesting. You're like, I prefer a straight lease. And I'm like, that's so fascinating. I was, I just, my last podcast was with Flip Powered of Lucid. And he also prefers a straight lease. And this is news in the industry because most people prefer management agreements these days. So I'm really curious on why you have honed in on a straight lease, even with a real estate partner. I'm greedy, Liz. I'm greedy. <laughs> uh, management agreement agreements are great, and we've done quite a few of those. And obviously, the, the main benefit for a management agreement is it's no risk and it's capital light. That's mm-hmm. a simple, right? Landlord pays for everything. But if you have a, an amazing location, and it, you know, for every fifty deals that come across my desk, we might really get one. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, we're constantly looking at stuff, negotiating, negotiating, walking away from deals. But when the deal is right and the margins are good, as you said, mm. and you're getting the rents at the right price or you're getting the right incentive, then you take a lease all day long because look at like our George Street site, for example, which I keep talking about, but just so your listeners know, it's easy. Our rents are at the bottom of the market, but our desk rates are really high there. It's a really profitable site. It's a great location. Why would I put that on a management? That's going to be solid for the next 10, 15 years. It's the location's perfect. And, you know, we that's what we believe in. It's working quite well. So, yeah, a hybrid approach is quite good. But typically speaking, I do, if it's the right side, 
And what I think most of our sites, we've signed a couple of bad leases. I won't lie. Uh, <laughs> margins aren't perfect and uh, we spent a lot of money on the fit outs. But yeah, typically speaking, if, if the deals are right yeah. and we get better at negotiating these deals, I think, mm-hmm. and pain, pain points, leases, we prefer. But isn't the best deal buying the building? Well, yes. It's funny you say that, actually, Lizzie. I can. (laughs) (laughs) An exclusive. So we actually purchased our first building just before Christmas. And it was the very first first site we ever leased. So Commons is in there. And it's sort of this older warehouse. It needs refurbishment. But the plan is, well, the, the plan was always to get into real estate. And I do think to unlock the full potential of co-working you it's like the mcdonald model you need to own some of the real estate we're in mm-hmm. oh me cliff do you want 100 sites tomorrow or you can have 15 sites but own five of them i'll take 15 sites and own five and you know we've seen that play out as saying that I, iwg's done phenomenally well but in australia they've pulled out a lot a lot of deals uh, and a lot mm-hmm. of these moments so the reason why we like that, I guess it came through fear. Fear can be a, a crippling thing, but also can be a wonderful thing because look what happened in COVID. We, our hands are tied to the government. We're locked yeah. down. And the bigger we are now, the harder, bigger, harder we'll fall, right? Yeah. And we, something that keeps me up at night is saying, well, how can we survive any downturn? And owning the asset is a step in the right direction because we're not just owning it, we're going to redevelop it. So we're, we're turning mm-hmm. into a property and this is where our partners, Rivalee, come into play, who invested mm-hmm. in our property developers. We're not. We wouldn't do it by ourselves, but they're coming in and they're going to help lead the project and we're going to learn, be like sponges. Mm-hmm. So, so the play is we're going to knock the building down, build, build 11 stories. The hardest thing for developers is actually finding a tenant. Now, we can de-risk the development, the commons. We can take 40 to 50% of the building. And how yeah. amazing is it where we can take the lobby and the experiences through the commons, which people would love, and it's activated through our wellness program and wonderful events that we put on, plus service meeting rooms and, and cafes. And then the top floors uh, can be all le- straight leases from traditional office space, and, that, yeah. and that's play. And so that's what we're that's what we're doing. We're redesigning, and that will be up. The plan is by twenty twenty eight. So it's again a long term play but there'll be plenty of equity in the building once developed that we can put it into the next site. Yeah. Uh, or when there is a downturn, we can survive anything. And and that's really yeah. where, comes, where I'll be able to sleep at night knowing, okay, there's, there's funds yeah. when we need to draw down upon. So that is what we think is the right model to go towards. And mm-hmm. only in Melbourne and Sydney, we, there are opportunities for the commons to go down another path where we could open up in Brisbane, we can go to Singapore, I've got huge contacts in Asia, right? I could open in Hong Kong and get plenty of PR, but when I don't know if the dots on the map, the narrative for most operators is we need dots on the map across the world. Mm-hmm. Companies, global companies, well, you can strike a partnership with them and we can go to work from our space. I call bullshit on that because the amount of companies that have come from the larger operators that actually tell me, oh, yeah, we do have a partnership with these companies. That doesn't mean they have to sign with them and they all yeah. for the commons. So you can still win in your local market. So to the small to medium-sized operators out there, don't always be threatened by that. And another way to look at it, even if I open in Brisbane, the travel costs to go up there to send a team to hire a state manager, you need multiple mm-hmm. sites. If I just open one site, it's not going to make money. 
I've seen a company, I'm not, I won't mention the name, it's unfair, but they've opened up a small site. It's like 1,200 square meters, 12,000 square feet or something around that. They've got six employees already. And I'm like, how? They, there's no way they're making money. And now, obviously, they, they're going to no. look to a few more sites, but it doesn't make any sense to me. So unless, if I was to look at Singapore, I need to look at that as going a five-site location and we've got to do it over the space of two to three years. But again, there's a massive problem. I don't know the market there that well. So there's a lot of time. Like if I went to New York, I wouldn't know where to open. I, if I went to London, I don't really know where to open. But in Melbourne and Sydney, I know the market really well. So these are the advantages of if you're a small to medium-sized operator listening to this, don't be threatened all the time. I know there's a lot of talk, talk about always the big boys coming in, they're bullying their way. Mm-hmm. Think in, in your local market and just know the market well, pick the sites, pick the locations, you know the locations well. And I think that's sort of our advantage. And most of the I, time, people want to support local. Aussies want to support. I know Australia does. They want. They really yeah, want to support. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And like, I love it so much. And it's so smart. Like I, the number one mistake I see people doing an expansion strategy for co-working is leaving their core city before they've covered it up. Yes. Like you, if you haven't covered up your city and you're looking at places elsewhere, you, no. Like get your city done, then go to another city, then go to another city. Don't go to another country. And then like in the U.S., we were just, you know, I was talking about us this morning with an operator in the U.S. Like you think it's just a three-hour flight to Atlanta, but you're not putting in that you've got to get up to get on that flight you've got to pack your bag you've got to travel to the airport you've got to wait at the airport you there could be delays and on and on and on and on so it just the travel absolutely paralyzes you and just like with juicy we never go into a market without a partner because we don't know that market you have to get local expertise because we would never assume to know another country and how it operates So I think your strategy is Mm. perfect. You know who you are, be that. And then the other thing is my favorite, one of my favorite business quotes of all time that I say all the time is, I think I'm going to totally not say it correctly, but it's attributed to Henry Ford. And it is the competitor you should worry about the most is the one who doesn't worry about you at all. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Because I remember people would be like, WeWork is opening down the street for me. And I was like, do you think Adam Newman has thought about you one time? Because I will tell you, he has not. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. It, yeah, you hit the nail on the head on that one. And also, obviously, the costs are huge to travel. You know, people forget about that. The massive, a lot of paid expenses, hotels, accommodation. It adds up when you start moving around sites. And again, we you know, we're focusing on being profitable and the more profitable we are, the better mm-hmm. we can orient our member experience. To give you an idea, like, so people know, like, yes, we're profitable, but like from a member experience point of view, so we're well-staffed, our amenity-wise, we've got, you know, you jump on our website. Amazing. We're actually putting bowling alleys in our new sites that are opening next year. Mm-hmm. Um, free fruit, we've got apple, um, we've got cider, we've got beer on tap, we've got three different types of coffee. These are all for free, teas. We've got a cereal bar, five different types of cereal. We've got three different types of milk. These are all free. So we, we don't spare no expense when it comes to the member experience. And mm-hmm. there's expense on every single week. We have an amazing program. So, you know, it, you can still be profitable and offer members all these things. That's yeah. the point. You need to cut, cut, cut expenses. You cut on yourself. 
Do you know what I mean? You cut on yeah. your, it right. off. but don't cut on the member experience. Make the member experience yeah. the best it can be. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love it. Okay. And I knew this would happen that you and I would go over time because I just love talking to you and I, your enthusiasm is infectious. So I'm going to cut to the last question, which is one that you get to pick. Actually, you oh. can either answer what is the question I should have asked you that I didn't, mm-hmm. or you get to go back and tell little Cliff something. He's 12 years old and you can tell him one thing. What are you going to tell him? So you can have either one of those. But if you do come up with a question that I should have asked, you then have to answer it. Mm. I know. Well, actually, can we make it a collaborative question? Because I'm, I'm curious on this one. Sure. I love this. Right. In five years, 10 years, where do you see this industry heading? And, and, and I'll, I'll give you an idea. Like, if you look at the hotel industry, Marriott and Accor monopolize the whole industry. Mm-hmm. Marriott, yeah. your hotel, everything. Addition, mm-hmm. uh, Holiday Inn, all owned by the one group. Mm-hmm. Do you think this industry is heading in that direction? The larger REITs will gobble up a lot, all the operators and then turn it and get the efficiency. You know, IWG is going down that direction a little bit, are they? I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because that's a sign of maturity. The fitness industry has done something similar in Australia anyway. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. First, or what owned by you know the one company? Yeah, I'd love to know your insight. If where do you mm-hmm. see operators? Like we're not looking to sell, and we look at this as a long term play. But I mm-hmm. do know operators are looking to sell, right? So yeah, yeah. How do you see no, it? No. Great question, great question. Because we, you know, I've talked to a lot of people about this. You know, the hotel industry analogy is it going that way? So. Yes, parts of it will. So, for instance, Industrious is already bifurcating and having different lines for different things. IWG is clearly doing that as well. Here's why I think it's different. Everybody needs a place to work. Not everybody needs a place to sleep. So there is room for everybody. There's room for so many flavors of this. And... I agree with you in that so many people will always choose local over a big brand. So I think there's tons of opportunity for this smaller operators to continue to thrive as we have in the co-working industry for the past however many years, 10 years, 12 years, whatever it is. But I think the thing is that there is never going to be a lack of people that need to find a space where they feel community connection and belonging. Because the loneliness epidemic is not getting better, it's getting far worse. The addiction problem is not getting better, it's getting far worse. Our climate is not getting better, it's getting far worse. So places where people can connect in a meaningful way on a daily basis are going to thrive. So co-working as we know it, will continue to proliferate. Will there be some big guys at the top bifurcating and looking like hotels? 100% there will be. But is there room for everybody and tons of room for entrepreneurs and additional people? Absolutely. And this is part of the reason that Juicy exists because we believe that we have a moral imperative to help proliferate co-working. So if I can help more people learn how to operate more profitably or to how to open more spaces or how to get into this business, I'm going to do that. Amazing. Yeah, it's so true. And can I say, Liz, you know, I'm sure on behalf of a lot of your listeners, thank you for doing everything you do for our industry because 
you cut the bullshit out, you know, and oh, we met in, in, in Europe. We went met in Porto. Yeah. And I was by myself. I didn't know anyone. We, you saw me, <laughs> you put me under your wing and you probably don't remember this, but then you introduced me to everyone. I've made some great connections from that trip That's because awesome. to, and thank you for doing everything you do because it is insightful and we're quite a new industry, even though, yeah, IW, mm-hmm. IW 30 years, but transparency is key. Let's, the, the, you know, maturing of the industry is great and it's people like yourself that's, you know, putting it front and center. So thank you for everything you do. Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you. Yeah. Like it's just, you know, it's my passion. It's what I love doing. And, you know, I found this thing that I think can make a difference in the world. And if I can help other people in this global way, then I'm sure as hell going to do it. Yes. I love it. And now what do you think is going to happen? When it was WeWork, you know, at the top of the mountain, you know, 2017, yeah, I thought maybe it was Mm -hmm. going down that direction, but it's a tricky one because these bigger operators really need to get profitable. I know IWG sort of there, but mm-hmm. the newer, newer ones need to get profitable. And I know a lot of them aren't yet, but they're pushing to get there. Yeah. Do then, then there's a play that they, they can probably gobble up some of these. And there is efficiencies with scale as well. So I understand the play there. But yeah, I think local players, the thing is like the hard, the great thing about our industry, which I love, and if any, any operators are listening to this, the barrier of entry to get into this space is really high, which is great because the cost of capital mm-hmm. is huge. So once you're in and you got your foot in the door and you've already started, that's wonderful. That's really the hardest part because if you look at e-commerce, anyone can just go out and get something on Alibaba mm-hmm. and you know, you've got competitions on whatever you're doing. So I do think, yeah, I, I, I don't have the answer. I'm not sure this is sort of why we're sort of collaborating on this one, but it'll typically speaking though a lot of the bigger players do end up gobbling up and and from a lot of operators i speak to they're looking to sell out so that's kind of why i'm well and i do think though the other thing that's really nice is that those big operators are now coming to juicy Mm -hmm. and i mean jamie's always come industrious has always been in the room but iwg's in the room now and like we really are coming together as an industry and i think that we have a lot of work to do also on getting better numbers getting better data getting better information so that we can raise more capital and understand the industry better and i Mm -hmm. know that you know there's people working on it and stuff but like there's still a lot of work to be done but at the end of the day you know you are helping proliferate spaces where people connect and feel belonging and it's never going out of style. Yes, totally agree. Love it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I would talk to you all day, but people won't listen all day. So (laughs) we are going to call it a day. Thank you, Cliff. And I will look forward to seeing you at Juicy UK this fall. Can't wait. Really looking forward to it. Thanks, friend. Thank you. Take care, y'all, and we'll see you on the next Juicy Podcast. Mm-hmm.